Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. I want to begin today's broadcast by simply asking you the question, do you believe that pastors are trustworthy, or perhaps more specifically, are pastors, in your opinion, a trustworthy source of spiritual wisdom? That's going to be the subject of today's message, and as we begin to get into this and I give some of the reasons why some might not believe that that's the case, I want to say up front that this is going to be a little more of a hostile broadcast than we're accustomed to here on Words of Grace. We really do try to accentuate the positive. We try to dwell on positive things, and even if we're talking about repentance— and the need to repent, we try to present that in an encouraging way and not in a discouraging way. This might come across as being mean, but these are issues that we really need to discuss at present. Now, what has put this on my mind so strongly that I would come on the air and present a radio message about it? I saw a news story recently that a Barna Research group study said that half of Americans, less than half of American adults, found pastors to be, quote, very reliable as it pertained to being a source of spiritual wisdom, wisdom in spiritual matters. And we'll break down those numbers in just a moment, but let that sink in. Pastors, according to a majority of American adults, are not very reliable as a source. They're not a very reliable source of wisdom in spiritual matters. I think if we were to take a survey and use the same exact questions of Americans 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago, more Americans, a higher percentage of Americans would have believed that pastors, preachers, people who believe in the Bible and pastor churches, a higher number would believe that their ministry or other ministers are a reliable source of wisdom, especially in spiritual matters. In fact, there was a day when probably the regular mundane decisions of life, we might even run past our pastors. Do I need to go to this college or that college? Do I need to invest in a new automobile, or should I try to get this one to last a little longer? What about the person that I need to be marrying? Is this a person fit for me to marry? Questions like that at one time in America would probably be run by the pastor, and his insight from the Word of God would frame and mold the decision-making that people would have to engage in. Now, to dig into these statistics in a little more depth before going to the Word of God and explaining why we're in this condition in the country today and also what we need to do about it, in this study, 57% of Americans at least said that pastors are somewhat reliable. 23% said that pastors are definitely reliable. Only 4% of unbelievers believe that pastors are definitely reliable as it related to wisdom in spiritual matters. 29% of unbelievers said that pastors are definitely not reliable. Honestly, 
I would wonder why any atheist would believe that a pastor in a spiritual matter would be reliable at all. If you're an atheist, why have any value in what a pastor says to begin with? 44% of Christians said that pastors are very reliable. 44% of Christians. More than half of Christians don't believe that pastors are very reliable. 39% of adults said that pastors are very reliable. And here's an ironic and, as a pastor, perhaps comical statistic in that study. Only 25% of pastors themselves felt very reliable. And so I guess if I'm looking at my peers, maybe we have a humble perspective on ourselves as far as do I feel very reliable? Well, only 25% of pastors do, meaning that 75% of pastors did not feel very reliable in the spiritual wisdom that they could give another person. To be fair, these are never two answer questions. So in this instance, it was probably very reliable, somewhat reliable, neutral, somewhat unreliable, and very unreliable. Today on the broadcast, I want to offer commentary on what I believe is behind those numbers. Why don't people believe that men of God are reliable when it comes to spiritual wisdom? The first thing I want to remind you of is that the unregenerate thinks what I believe is foolish. The unbeliever thinks me a fool, and it believes you're a fool if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do I get that information. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, "...the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him." So, as it relates to the unregenerate man, the person who doesn't know God, the person who doesn't know Christ, who is yet dead in trespasses and in sins, it's no surprise that he wouldn't believe a pastor is a source, a reliable source, of wisdom as it pertained to spiritual things or any other sort of thing in the world. The unregenerate thinks me a fool, and that's the way that it simply is. Now, one of the things that we'll say at the close of today's broadcast, even though he might think I'm a fool in spiritual ways, if you and I live according to the principles of the Word of God, his mouth would be stopped as he looks at the superiority of peace and happiness in my personal life. And especially if I apply the wisdom of the book of Proverbs to the practical decisions of my life and my style of living, he would look and see that following the Bible is a very pragmatic thing to do, especially as it relates to personal finances and selecting a spouse and being upright in living, abstaining from sinful things that calls an early end to our lives. But the unregenerate, because of the spiritual things that we believe, he thinks that we're foolish because these things are spiritually discerned. In other words, if a person lacks the Holy Spirit in their person, if they are not born of the Spirit and the Spirit is not in them, well, they're going to think everything that we believe is foolishness and folly to begin with. To them that perish, the gospel is foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so, one reason that this is the case, well, unregenerates will always think what we believe is foolish. Still, the ministry has, in times past, been seen, perceived, with more respect than they are today. And so, we want to now think about 
this question, why do people not respect pastors in today's time more than they do? Why do they not respect pastors the way they did in previous generations? Now, if you know me and you're a regular listener to Words of Grace, you know that I don't take the title of reverend upon myself because the one time it's used in the Bible, it described God, and the biblical titles for the ministry are elder or bishop or pastor, evangelist. There's no biblical precedent for calling another man reverend. But think about the popular usage of that term in generations gone by. When someone would call a pastor or a preacher reverend, it is communicating his or her respect for that pastor. And again, please don't call me reverend. I don't want to be called reverend. That's not a biblical title for the ministry. But when that was the popular title for pastors, it seemed to depict a little more respect, because reverend and respect are similar terms, for the ministry than people have today. Why, then, are pastors not respected in today's time the way that they were in times past? Well, there are a few reasons for that that I've been reflecting on today. Number one, the charlatans take the spotlight and have become the face of being a pastor in America, the face of Christianity. In America, we let the celebrities, the well-known, the wealthy, we let them set for us what we think American life ought to be. In our day and age, we have celebrities on social media that are known as influencers, and these people might not have any expertise in life. They might not be successful outside of getting a following in social media. And many of the times their personal lives are outright train wrecks, but because they dress really fancy and make gripping videos on social media, we call them influencers and people want to know what they think and they want to be like them. They want to dress like them. They want to emulate their lifestyle and they're very envious of their wealth or their looks or the lifestyle they produce on social media, and again, so many times it's fake. Christianity is not immune to that. And we have influencers. There are certain Christian influencers, several of which have been scandalized in recent times for sinful private affairs behind the scenes as they would travel around and give comedy shows or go on singing tours, etc. We have our influencers. But most of the major Christian television networks, they're filled with outright false teachers. Now, that's critical, and I know that someone that's listening today, perhaps lots of people that are listening today, will say, you know, I don't appreciate you saying that because it seems mean and it seems judgmental and, well, you just sound like a Pharisee preacher. But remember that when Paul confronted false teachers and he warned people against false teachers in his ministry, he didn't do that because he hated people. He did that because he loves God's bride, and he wants God's people to be delivered from the wiles of the devil and the errors of the false teacher. Because most major Christian TV networks are filled with false teachers, the charlatans that simply want you to send them money so they can further pad their bank accounts and buy lavish luxury for themselves. And I could name dozens of them, but I won't. I believe we all know the people that I'm referring to. Because those people are viewed as the house brand, name brand pastors. The rest of us who are real pastors, who really want to minister to the flock, well, 
we're looked at in the same light as those people, and people don't respect us. They don't believe that we're a real source for wisdom and spiritual things. The same can be said for many best-selling Christian authors in America today. So many times the charlatans have marketed themselves so much for the sake of making money, and they've become very powerful, they've become very well-known, and in doing so, they've become the face of pastoring in America. And again, many times these people, preachers, influencers, musicians, comedians, they end up scandalizing themselves with some sort of sin, usually a sexual sin, and discrediting themselves. And it makes a huge black eye on Christianity in general. Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba, one of the things that God said to him was he had given reason for the enemies of God to blaspheme. When a leader falls into sin and it is exposed— Well, God's enemies blaspheme, and it makes all the rest of us who go to church and love the Lord, and especially those of us that are ministers, it makes the rest of us look bad. It gives a big black eye, again, on Christianity. You might wonder why people do things such as this, the false teachers. Just notice this from 2 Peter chapter 2. There were false prophets among the people, even as there are, shall be, false teachers among you who probably bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And I don't believe the them there has reference to the false teachers, but the people. God has bought his people, false teachers come in among us, and they deny the Lord. And they bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, what did I say that false teachers cause? They cause the truth to be spoken evil of. But what's their motivation? And through covetousness, they shall with feigned or fake words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, for their damnation slumbereth not. Why does the false teacher do what he does? He does it for the financial benefit of it. And there are some billionaire-level false teachers who are active in their so-called pretend ministries in America today. When they begin to be the face for being a pastor in America, the rest of the pastors, well, people look at us with suspicion, thinking that we're one of them when we're not one of them. We're nothing like any of them. Number two, a lot of your local pastors have such ego and drive that they're more concerned with empire building than they are actually ministering to God's people. One of the symptoms of this in any local church is that the ministry is inaccessible, like some sort of a celebrity or CEO. And so if you, as a congregant, call and try to get in touch with your pastor, you can't. There's no direct line to him, but usually there's any number of assistants that would be happy to talk to you. But the man that you see in the pulpit on Sunday, he's in some sort of elevated position, and you simply can't talk to him. He's separate from you, and he's apart from the rest of the congregation. Well, I remind you that the word pastor means shepherd. What sort of a shepherd is there that's not with his sheep? And a shepherd, according to Proverbs, is going to know the condition of his sheep. Pastors such as that give us a bad name. Number three, and I want you to hear me out very carefully on this, seminaries have trained pastors to unintentionally cast doubt on Scripture. Now, what is our only source of wisdom as pastors and Christians to be? Well, it's to be the Word of God. But seminaries have trained people to not only doubt the accuracy of the underlying text, but to also dispute 
the translative choices that the translators of the Bible into our English language have made. Let me say more on both of those. As it relates to doubting the accuracy of the underlying text, how might modern pastors cause churchgoers, Christians, whether nominal or devoted, to doubt the accuracy of the underlying text? One way is by choosing for the basis of the Old Testament the Septuagint over the Hebrew. What do you mean choosing the Septuagint over the Hebrew? What is a Septuagint? Well, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek that has developed and evolved over the centuries. We don't know what the Septuagint looked like in Jesus' day. We don't have access to that. But the more you study it compared to other translations of the Old Testament and also the Masoretic Hebrew, which is what our Old Testament is translated from, the deficiencies of the Septuagint are very apparent and obvious. Now, a lot of pastors don't know that because they can't read Greek, so they've never actually looked up statements in the Septuagint that are problematic. But the Septuagint has many problems that would cause any thinking person to shy away from it and favor the Masoretic Hebrew instead. Another way that pastors calls God's people to doubt the accuracy of the underlying text is by doubting traditionally received passages saying that it was added to the Word of God and doesn't belong in the Bible. Now, please understand that here at Words of Grace, we believe in the preservation of Scripture. We believe in the received text, therefore. We believe that God preserved His Word, and it was kept pure, preserved in the church, is authentical, and is the only rule of faith and practice, that God will preserve His Word for His people in all ages. Why do we believe this? Well, because Jesus said that. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but His words shall not pass away. God preserves His Word, despite being the most sought out to destroy book in human history, it exists in greater quantities than any other book that's ever been published, because God wins, and he proves this over and over again. Has your pastor ever caused you to doubt the pericope adultery, the woman taken in adultery? Did you know that's the common view among so-called conservative pastors today, that that's not really a true story given to us through divine inspiration? Well, preachers all through history accepted it, but we're so much smarter today. We've determined that it doesn't belong in the Word of God. And so when I say we, I have reference to modern academics and pastors. Another one is the longer ending of Mark. They'll say the longer ending of Mark doesn't belong in the Word of God, despite the fact that it is one of the most anciently quoted passages in Scripture. You literally can find citations of that all through church history no one that was sound ever doubted that the longer ending of Mark belonged in the Bible, and yet modern Bible translators today put it in brackets or italics. Preachers don't preach from it authoritatively, and worse than that, they claim it doesn't belong in the Word of God and isn't inspired. The list goes on and on. The doxology and the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel. A church member asked me a couple of weeks ago, how come the modern translations of the Bible don't have all of the Lord's Prayer? Well, for the same reason. Because the critical text, a collection of old Greek manuscripts that disagree with themselves in thousands of places, let alone the received text, because those manuscripts lacked the longer ending, the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, people have removed it from the Word of God, and preachers teach against 
citing it in the pulpit. The Yohanan comma, 1 John 5, 7 is another such example of that, and so many other places. So many other places. Sometimes only a single word, like in 1 Timothy 3.16, God is manifest in the flesh, is changed to a simple pronoun instead of the word God. The title of Jesus as the only begotten of the Father is changed. So many places exist in the Word of God that modern preachers and academicians consider spurious that when your average person sitting out there hears that, all he hears is, well, God's Word has a bunch of changes in it that we're not original to the writers, so we really don't know what God actually intended for us to know. Where is the Word of God? Apparently, we don't even know what it is. Preachers do this in another form by disputing the translative choices, translation choices of whichever translation they're using. You'll often hear it in the form of, quote, a better translation of this statement would be. Now, I often wonder when I hear that coming from a pulpit, does this preacher actually speak Hebrew or Greek? And 99 out of 100 times, the answer to that question is no. He couldn't walk into a Greek restaurant and order a dish in Greek or ask for the restroom or go into a store and ask to buy a shirt or a pair of shoes or boots. If a person isn't fluent in Greek, what gives them the authority to simply pull out a lexicon, a dictionary, being unaware of how words or phrases were actually used in the first century through the study of history? What gives them the right to say this isn't translated correctly, and so what you really should believe about it is this. All that does, all both of those things do, is cause doubt in the mind of a child of God when they hear preaching. And I just call upon us not to do that. In both of those cases, modern evangelical preachers have sided with critics as it relates to the Word of God and not the bedrock powerhouse ministers of the gospel in generations past. Number four, why people don't take ministry seriously as a source of wisdom in a spiritual sense. As pastors, and I'm guilty of this at times, this constant pushing of politics, whether right-wing or left-wing, woke issues, social justice, or American exceptionalism on the other side of the aisle, instead of the true gospel and the kingdom of God, has made people stop listening to us. If I go to church on Sunday— And instead of hearing about Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only potentate who only has immortality, and how the Lord died for me upon the cross and saved me from my sins and how he wants me to live, if I go to church and I hear a political sermon and how I should vote for one candidate over another instead of hearing the gospel, and how I hear about America, America, instead of the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, I'm just going to walk away. I'm not going to listen to that because the pastor who does that's no different than a political pundit on a left or a right wing political commentary show that airs on cable news at night. We are not at church pastors to push our political hobby horses. We are here to preach Jesus. Jesus united two men as apostles, one a zealot, Simon, who believed in violently repelling Rome, and the other, Matthew, a publican or tax collector for Rome. And yet these two men, diametrically opposed to each other in a political sense, found unity at the feet of Jesus. We have something that unites people of all different mindset and philosophy, nationality, ethnicity. I'm convinced that people don't pay a lot of us any attention because there's no difference in us and the guys we hear on the cable news networks or the AM political radio stations. Now, I've been hard on us as ministers, so 
let me just say, as American people, this is a criticism of Christendom in America in general. We have inadvertently replaced biblical Christianity with a Christian-flavored moral therapeutic deism. How do you know this is the case? Well, simply share the word with people who claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They get offended. If you say to your average Christian that homosexuality is wrong and we don't celebrate it and God made people male and female from the beginning of time and that's simply what you are, male or female, people get offended. It's alarming to me the number of my friends who go to church each week that will turn around and like posts on social media celebrating things like homosexuality and they don't see the problem there. Go to your average Christian and tell them that the husband is supposed to grow up, stop being a man-child, lead his family in the Lord, work hard, and that the wife is to submit to her husband as he submits to Christ and loves her as Christ loved the church, and see what they do. They might be offended at you. They might laugh you out of the room. Go to your average person and tell them they're to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. How popular do you think that's going to be? And don't even get me started on the objections that many modern Christians have to the notion of the eternal punishment of the wicked, or hell, the lake of fire. Why are we so offended at concepts that are so clearly articulated in Scripture? Well, we replaced Christianity, by and large, with a Christian-flavored, again, moral therapeutic deism. Now, as we bring our broadcast to a close today, as we leave the problem, because that's a great problem, right? That's depressing for me to even get on the air and tell you about. I want to give you three thoughts as we close. First of all, regardless of the failures of preachers and pastors, of men, because as the statistics reveal, 75% of us don't feel ourselves to be very qualified to talk in spiritual matters to convey wisdom— Though we fail as men, I want you to know that Scripture contains the wisdom of God, and you can trust it. Scripture is full of wisdom. Take the book of Proverbs, apply it to your life, and your life will be revolutionized. It will turn your world upside down on its head for the better. As you transform the way you live to the way the Word of God sets forth, your life will be more blessed. That doesn't mean you'll be wealthier and have less illness, but... I can promise you that following the Word of God will save you from so many destructive lifestyles and decisions here in this world. Also, as we think about the Word of God, it thoroughly furnishes us unto all good works, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17. Scripture thoroughly furnishes us unto all good works. The only reason any of us as preachers are worth listening to is the Word of God. There's nothing in me as a man that makes me any more worth listening to than any other person who's ever walked upon the face of the earth. We're not gurus who have some sort of private revelation that we share with you. No, we share the Word of God. Upon it, we stand. And if I ever depart from the Word of God, you don't need to listen to me or consider me a source worth listening to on matters of spiritual wisdom, to continue quoting the verbiage of the study that was conducted that we mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast. Number two, if you put into practice the wisdom of the Word of God, the Proverbs being a great place to start, as you put this into practice, it's going to make you stand out. And as the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. 
I want the people who hear me preach every week to study God's Word and know it so well that people who don't know anything about their religion looks to them and wonders, what is different in their life that I don't have, and how can I get it? If we actually put into practice what the Word of God says, you will stand out, and the proof, again, is in the pudding where the rubber meets the road, to use another metaphor, is in our personal lives, and those who share the Word of God would once again be regarded as people who are very qualified to speak on matters of wisdom in a spiritual sense. Lastly, I end on an exhortation. I promise you, with every fiber in my being, that the Word of God contains the answers to the problems in your life. And so I would exhort you to find a real man of God to guide you from the Scriptures throughout your life. As the Ethiopian eunuch was traveling in his chariot, Philip the Evangelist runs up to him, and he asks him as he reads from Isaiah 53, Understandeth thou what thou readest? And this Ethiopian eunuch simply says, How can I except some man should guide me? We need guides. We need helpers. And that's why God gave the ministry. Find a real God-called pastor who takes this seriously and allow him to share God's Word with you for your own benefit. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.